It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accused the West of trying to hold back Moscow and Beijing's development as Chinese leader Xi Jinping landed Monday for a three-day visit to the region. One year after the war in Ukraine began, China called for a ceasefire and released a 12-point peace plan. The International Criminal Court, meantime, recently issuing an arrest warrant for Putin over his alleged involvement in the abduction of Ukrainian children. If China is committed to supporting an end to the war, based on the principles of the UN Charter, as called for in point one of its plan, it can engage with President Zelensky and Ukraine on the basis and use its influence to compel Moscow to pull back its forces. Here in the U.S., a Manhattan grand jury will hear testimony concerning hush money that former President Trump allegedly paid to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The House Judiciary Committee claims unprecedented abuse of prosecutorial authority and is demanding testimony from members of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom newsletter, Ben Dominich. Fox News contributor, nationally syndicated radio host Leslie Marshall, and Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Chad, uh, let me start with you up on the Hill. There, it's kind of not usual for the Hill and Congress to get involved in in a Manhattan um, DA's move, but um, this obviously transcends all of that. Whether or not you think that the prosecution or potential prosecution of the former president is political, uh, the other part of this is political. And I mean that in a, quote, good way, good in the sense that Republicans say, oh, here's our chance to go after Alvin Bragg, criticize his record for prosecutions in New York. This is this whole thing that the right has with the left and how these, quote, leftist prosecutors in these big cities and how big cities are run. So from the right, that's good politics with their base. Uh, the problem for Republicans is, you know, how much further do they want to continue to go uh, being on the same side as President Trump? You talk to a number of Republicans quietly who will say, I have to say these things back in my district. Or some say, you know, we need to jump off this bandwagon. But what we've seen so far in the early incipient uh, Republican House majority is that mostly they're standing behind the president. You had the former uh, uh, you had, uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, after he was finally elected speaker, say that President Trump had a lot to do with that, thanked him for his assistance. Uh, you have Republicans uh, saying that they are going to investigate some components of January 6th and now wanting to bring in uh, Alvin Bragg and some of his uh, officials in his office for, for depositions and maybe even a hearing. Uh, other times when we've had that, people have said, wait a minute uh, on Capitol Hill, we don't want to trod on potential investigations. That doesn't seem to be the way that they are going right now. And so far, the Republicans, at least publicly, 
are standing four square behind the former president. Leslie, for Democrats, some definitely in the Democratic Party would love to see the former president frog marched out in an orange jumpsuit uh, with, you know, the whole picture and the whole deal. But uh, this particular prosecution, if it goes forward, as it's believed to be doing, uh, you know, there was a DA who chose not to go down this road. The statute of limitations on the state charges, on which originally is a misdemeanor, but he's he was upgrading it to a felony, kind of expired. So the way they're going at it is a federal charge through uh, election law. And to to get to that step for a former president, whether you like him or not, whether you think that there's just, you know, fire behind the smoke here in this particular case, seems like a big jump. Uh, and Democrats, you know, are weighing in all on all sides. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, Arizona Senator Mark Kelly um, talked about um, this uh, and that you have to be careful. I mean, look, this is historic, an indictment not just against Donald Trump about you know, an indictment against any former president. This is the first time a, a former president or current president would be criminally charged. And there are a lot of people out there, to Chad's point, uh, that feel this is political. People saying this is a privately, you know, funded takedown of Donald Trump by George Soros. Bottom line is the former president paid hush money to a porn star and tried to write it off as a legal expense. That is illegal. But to your point, uh, Brett, does it rise to this occasion? There may be charges coming out of Georgia for an entirely, uh, you know, different thing, trying to, um, you know, you know, in interfere uh, with elections. And of course, now that the former president is talking about, you know, his base not standing for this, there's security concerns. We're seeing barriers coming out, and people who are concerned that they'll see a repeat of what happened on January 6, more specifically, concerned of any potential violence. Uh, but I think. You know, more than political, we as a nation need to stand firm, regardless of our ideology, that no one is above the law. Understood um, all and, of that. And we also we also have to we also have to realize that you know a grand jury is not politically motivated motivated by George Soros checkbook or otherwise. Right, understanding all of that, but in essence, the legality of this, and I don't think any of us on this this uh, podcast are lawyers, but you know, non disclosure agreements. No matter what the the underlying issue is, are not illegal. Uh, the illegality here, uh, as portrayed, Ben, is from federal election law and what it means for helping a presidential campaign at the time. Which, if you want to go down that road, there are a lot of things that fall <laughs> under that uh, umbrella. Uh, Leslie, I, I agree with you that no one should be above the law, but are we going to go back and, and go through every woman that Bill Clinton paid off on the way to the White House? I mean, come on. This is wait, Give Republicans time, Ben. That's coming. I'm sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I, no, I am serious about that because this is the kind of standard that you're basically holding people to. There's it, there's a long history uh, in, in presidential politics, in fact of engaging in this uh, type of behavior to make stories go away. In fact, you know, Warren Harding, the GOP sent uh, one of the women that he had had dalliances with and her husband on a trip to Asia funded by the GOP in order to get her out of town uh, so that reporters didn't have a chance to talk to her uh, during the course of that election. In other words, this is not a new thing. It is also not from the perspective of the American people, a major thing. And I think that because of that, we are now in a situation where Democrats and many people in the media who would otherwise like to see 
the frog march scenario, Brett, that you laid out, uh, pushing back against this idea because they believe it will be read as the kind of political gamesmanship that it is uh, using any type of way to come after the former president in an aggressive manner. And look, he's going to try to use that to his benefit. Whether it does benefit him or not politically remains to be seen. But I do think that this is something where the legal overreach in question and the fact that Alvin Bragg has always uh, has been already exposed in so many different ways as being a uh, prosecutor who is both out of his depth and wrong on policy in so many different respects in ways that put actual Americans uh, in harm's way, uh, I think it's going to play into this. The idea that he is catering instead to a liberal elite, a democratic elite. Uh, that has a greater priority on prosecuting Donald Trump uh, over any uh, kind of, of malfeasance that they can find uh, versus actually prosecuting criminals who are affecting the average American. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a powerful political message, and I expect Republicans to embrace it. Yeah, I mean, Brett, I think... Can I, can yeah, I add yeah, hold on. Let me just say one thing, sure. Chad, and that is, and when Alvin Bragg took this job as the Manhattan DA, he, the first thing he did, among the first things, is take a whole bunch of criminal code violations and move them from felonies to misdemeanor. This is one where he is moving from misdemeanor to felony, not using state or city law, but by using uh, federal law in, when it comes to the election. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah. And, and so regardless of as to whether or not Alvin Bragg is, is politically motivated in doing this, uh, as I said earlier, Republicans mostly are standing behind the, the former president and saying this is awful and, and politically motivated. What this does, and this may actually help the Democrats in the long run politically, is that it has Republicans continuing to associate with former President Trump, defend him, talk about 2020, uh, talk about the riot, God forbid, if there's you know, violence or protest that gets out of hand, you know, the riot at the Capitol and so on and so forth. It is good politics for the Democrats to continue to have Republicans talking about and defending former President Trump. You know, one of the things that we found in the 2022 midterm elections is that a lot of voters kind of wanted a break from that. And, you know, they wanted normalcy. And that's why some Republican candidates who were too closely associated with the former president or too extreme in some quarters did not fare as well. And Democrats, even if there are whether or not there are political motivations behind Alvin Bragg, this might work in the long term in favor of the Democrats. Right. It's a bit of a bank shot. Leslie, you buy that politics and that uh, Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. And so if the fallout of this is empowering the Trump base and getting him passed a primary, then so be it. Uh, That makes it easier for Democrats to win in 24. Yeah, I do buy that as a Democrat. I was sitting here nodding when Chad was talking because, uh, look, a lot of people out there are saying quite the opposite, that that Democrats are trying with this, being politically motivated to prevent him from running. Um, and, And I wouldn't agree with that at all. Right now, you have In the past 48 hours, you had Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis speaking out against Trump and then with this particular action speaking in favor of him and they would be running against him, obviously. And if Donald Trump, you know, is, you know, is the nominee, you know, that certainly in addition to, you know, getting popcorn to watch it all, uh, you know, I strongly believe that Joe Biden would beat him again. And I know most of my fellow Democrats would really rather see a Donald Trump on the ticket uh, than a Ron DeSantis, uh, despite what a lot of polls say. 
Uh, so I do think this could benefit my party um, because it could, you know, rile up the base and also put a spotlight on the Republican Party and see how many of them fall but in line behind Donald Trump. I'll just say, him. you know, Mike Pence was kind of full-throated saying it was a political prosecution, and here we go again. Governor DeSantis was a little bit walking the line there as he kind of threw in, I don't know anything about hush money to porn stars. <laughs> so, I mean, that was a little bit of a dig in there. Um, and Donald Trump, the former president, is not taking Governor DeSantis's uh, comments very well. Just moments ago, he put on Truth Social, Ron DeSanctimonious will probably find out about false accusations and fake stories sometime in the future as he gets older, wiser, and better known when he's unfairly and illegally attacked by a woman, even classmates that are underage or possibly a man. I'm sure he will want to fight these misfits just like I do and then link a story about Ron DeSantis partying with underage girls. I mean, this is where we are, Ben, in this whole back well, and forth. Well, where we are is is pretty clear. Ron DeSantis and his team have made the calculation that allowing Donald Trump to suggest that he is a groomer or a pedophile, someone who has run around with high school girls or the like in an inappropriate way, allowing him to insult his wife, allowing him to uh, go after his uh, actions with a legal ethical complaint, uh, and then all this. Uh, are all things that he believes uh, that he shouldn't respond to, he shouldn't deign to respond to, that he should just, uh, you know, let uh, Trump sort of tire himself out punching. But I've never seen Donald Trump get tired of punching. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, 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 that would be a new thing that would happen. I, I think instead, you know, it's incumbent upon DeSantis to at some point respond to the allegations uh, that Donald Trump is raising against him and raise them directly. And I think that a pretty easy response, a pretty straightforward response is simply to say that, you know, when when it came to the promises that Donald Trump gave to the Republican Party, you know, they never got tired of winning because they never experienced that level of winning. They experienced loss after loss after loss and election after election after election. And, you know, to Leslie's point, I think she just very much admitted what is true and what any honest Democrat will tell you, which is that they would very much like to see Donald Trump be the nominee of the Republican Party in 2024 again, because they believe that he is beatable. And I think that they're probably right. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Yeah, and the, pre the premise, though, that this is meant to take Donald Trump down, I mean... Everyone kind of sees through that, I think, Chad, up on Capitol Hill. I, I'm not sure, but um, I, I, it is something to watch that, you know, this moment in time. Now, we should point out there are a number of other cases. There's the Georgia case. There's the Jack Smith investigation, the special counsel on the handle, handling of classified documents, as well as January 6th. So this case, while many people are saying is frivolous, it really doesn't have, uh, I mean, there's more to come. 
Yeah, and that's where, you know, Republicans every single time, if you have an indictment in Georgia, you have things with Smith, uh, are they going to say, oh, we need to have them come in? You know, the more the Democrats can have them, you know, talking about this, that works in their favor. And, and Republicans, you know, this is why they're kind of still hamstrung to the base of, of Donald Trump, is that they kind of feel compelled to do this. You, you know, it was amazing over the weekend uh, when the president, uh, the former president, put out his comment on Truth Social, just how quickly Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, uh, said, hey, I'm going to involve the House in this, and we're going to look at money that's sent to Alvin Bragg's office, and we might want oversight and so on. And so, you know, that works to their base, you know, this whole idea of investigating everything. But you play out in these big hearings and everything else, and it's all about Donald Trump. And while that helps Donald Trump, probably, it, it simultaneously probably helps the Democrats because they're talking and relitigating these same issues from 2020 that so many Republicans will tell you privately here on Capitol Hill that they want to get beyond. Yeah. I mean, you look at some channels' choices about what they air, um, it's nonstop. Leslie, I want to turn... Um I want to turn topics, and this is President uh, Biden's veto of the bipartisan congressional uh, re resolution to nullify the administration's environmental, social, and corporate governance. This is the ESG rule, which a lot of critics say prioritizes politics over over getting the best financial returns for, for Americans. Um, it's interesting that he chose to veto this. Uh, you know, there was all this talk about him moving to the center with uh, a couple of moves about uh, uh, oil drilling and ex exploration and uh, also the D.C. government standing with Republicans on, on governance. Uh, but you have Senator Joe Manchin, obviously a thorn in the side of the administration on numerous times, Democrat from West Virginia, saying this administration continues to prioritize their radical policy agenda over the economic, energy and national security needs of our country. And it's absolutely infuriating. What do you think of this move? Well, he wasn't the only one who, you know, crossed party lines on this and joined Republicans. You also had Senator John Testa from uh, Montana doing uh, the same thing. And I'm not surprised when you look at their states and when you look at their constituency. But when we speak about Senator Joe Manchin uh, specifically, you know, look, uh, we, we, you know, we we have, uh, you know, in my party, many view him as a Republican and or certainly an independent um, because, you know, he he does not, you know, toe uh, the party line. And he, you know, he seems to be at odds, even though they have a great personal relationship, uh, supposedly, uh, with the president on many issues. And anything that comes down to uh, consideration of climate factors, that is just an area where Joe Manchin is not having it. And this is a perfect example of that. And this is not surprising when you look at his history in voting and what he has said about anything where mm. climate factors are considered uh, within legislation, as this would do. Yeah. But Ben, I, defending ESG when it comes to corporate is is pretty tough in in today's environment. I mean, it's at least a little tougher uh, it's you know it's it's easy to demagogue saying this is the woke taking over corporate boardrooms. You know I think one of the things that is very clear at this moment is that Joe Manchin's political future uh, might actually be better on a national scale than on a West Virginia scale. And he may come I, to know, that he, conclusion. He may he may very well come to that conclusion. It's it's something that is increasingly I think on the minds of a lot of people, which is that you know his positioning in the country actually lines up a lot with where independent voters are 
And, you know, the question of whether he believes that there is a realistic path back uh, to the Senate, and he gives no signs of slowing down, of being someone who wants to retire uh, or or fade away from his existence. You know, uh, but West Virginia is a red state. It's a red state. It's a deep red state. And especially if Donald Trump is on the ballot, it's going to be something that's very challenging to win, I think, for Joe Manchin. Uh, but at the same time, I think there's a, an incredible appeal for someone like him, uh, you know, as Leslie says, an independent minded per- person uh, who has, uh, you know, energy issues, uh, these types of ESG issues, et cetera, you know, in, in kind of pushing back against a form of, you know, call it woke leftism, you know, uh, call it, you know, Neiman Marxism, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. It's It's something that I think a lot of people are fed up with. Uh, they would like to see the end of it. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I think, frankly, both Joe Biden won and Donald Trump won, uh, was uh, pushing back against that type of agenda, both within uh, the Democratic Party and within the uh, trajectory that we've seen the left on in recent years. Let's Whether see. Joe makes that kind of jump or not could be a huge factor going forward. Yeah. Chad, Leslie makes the point about, you know, Manchin's kind of clear when it comes to some of these issues, but some of his statements have been pretty pointed towards the administration. This one says, the ESG rule will weaken our energy, national and economic security while jeopardizing the hard-earned retirement savings of 150 million West Virginians and Americans. Uh, This administration has an unrelenting campaign to advance a radical social and environmental agenda, and it's only exacerbating these challenges. It's not mincing words here. (laughs) Well, as was said a minute ago, you know, he's basically in a red state. He's up for re-election if he tries to run in, in 2024. He needs to say those types of things. Uh, that's pretty much what Joe Manchin believes. And it's always important in politics to have a foil. This is exactly the type of foil that Joe Manchin needs, uh, you know, with this president. When he, uh, you know, goes to drill in Alaska, Joe Manchin probably applauds that, something like this. He, he says no. You know, a couple of but, you things. Know, hold on, let me part. interrupt. The, the yeah. Gene Shaheens, the Mark Kellys, the, I mean, there's a long list of other senators who might have some issues with ESG overall. Right. And they didn't vote. Uh, against this. There were only two Democrats uh, who voted in favor of this, Manchin and Tester. There were four uh, who weren't voting, including three Democrats, Feinstein, Fetterman, and Jeff Merkley. Uh, And so they had an opportunity. You know, again, someone like Mark Kelly, who's going to have a competitive uh, re-election bid in Arizona, that would have been an opportunity there. There were no Democrats who voted in favor of this in the House. The, The question I have that's unanswered right now is whether or not when this veto, uh, the physical piece of paper comes back to Capitol Hill, is do House Republicans, just to get Democrats, at least in the House, on the record again, do they say, hey, you know, there's that vote, and you sometimes do that on a veto override attempt, even if you know it's not going to be successful. I mean, the vote in the House was 216 to 204. The vote in the Senate was 50 to 46. As I always say, it's about the math. They are nowhere near having the votes uh, to override this veto. There's only been 112 successful veto overrides in the history of the country, and there won't be on this one. But this is, is President Biden. Uh, you, you know, some days, you know, he's going to side with the liberals like he did, uh, you, you know, on some issues. And then, you know, of late, you know, he's been drifting more toward the middle here, certainly with the Willow Project in Alaska, certainly what he did with the D.C. Uh, criminal code bill. And then now this veto uh, you know, a lot of this has more to do with uh, with Joe Biden and, you know, his bid for president should he decide to run in 2024 
compared to, you know, flying air cover for some of these moderate Democrats in the House and Senate. Last thing, um, you know, there's not a certainty, Leslie, there's a, a belief that the president is going to announce a run for reelection. And this is all part of that. But there's not a certainty if you talk to some Democrats. And as of March 20th, 2023, President Biden has made 69 trips to Delaware and other locations spanning all or part of 226 days on vacation away from the White House. 226 days of his time in office. There are people scratching their heads saying, why isn't that more of a story? And does this lend itself to more of a question about whether he's going to do it? No, (laughs) no, no. Both the no on both. No, I don't think it's more of a story. I mean, look, you know, Delaware is very close to to Washington and wherever the president of the United States is, whether it's Joe Biden, Donald Trump or anyone else, um, you know, they don't stop working because their location changes uh, from the Oval Office. And, you know, you know, we all know that. And I don't think there's any I, I don't think that he is not going to run. Um, You know, one thing is Joe Biden is a career politician and he cares about his country and he cares about his party, whether people like him or not. I want to vote for him or not. And I don't think he would run if he felt that there was any issue mentally or physically. And doctors are saying there's not. Um, And, you know, I just I you know, he's. He's not campaigning right now. He may be laying the groundwork uh, with his verse veto uh, to kill this Republican measure. And, you know, he's gearing up for bigger fights uh, with the Republicans on government spending and raising the nation's debt limit uh, over the next uh, few months. And I think right now those are his priorities. And I think because he doesn't constantly talk about it and you don't have everybody there in the West Wing talking about it. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I just don't think it's uh, number one on the hit parade right now. He has other things to do. He's focused on. All right, Ben, last word. You know, having worked for uh, a former president, uh, I have a lot of respect for presidents who uh, take a lot of vacation days. Uh, personally, I am not an objector to when a Democrat takes a, a vacation day because it means they're spending less time ruining the country. And so oh. I am all in favor of Joe Biden taking as many days that he wants to in Delaware away from work as possible, just as I was a fan of Barack Obama taking as many days golfing as possible. It means he is spending less time in finding new ways to ruin the country and my life. Okay. There we go. We'll leave it there. Uh, Thank you, panel. Uh, A little bit of history now. On March 21st, 1963, Alcatraz Federal Prison closed its doors after 29 years of operation. That prison became famous for housing infamous mobsters like Al Capone, George Machine Gun Kelly. The prison would be immortalized on the big screen in 1979 with the release of Escape from Alcatraz, starring Clint Eastwood as Frank Morris, the mastermind behind the 1962 Escape from the Island Prison. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Ben, Leslie, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the 
Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. 